Hello, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. I went on vacation this weekend and I, oh, I yeah. did not want it? it was awesome. And uh, I, I didn't miss anybody or anything. Did not so want to come back. What you're saying is, hi, I'm Matt Taibbi and I'm really unhappy to be here. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I get it. I no, mean, I'm, that's not true. I'm actually, I'm already back, in, back into the swing thing, oh, good. swing of things. So I'm very but, happy to be here. Were your kids with you? No, they were not for the first so, time in ages. So so. I think child services needs to intervene. Because well, I didn't like said, leave them on the side of the road. No, more that you just didn't miss anyone. But that was only I, a few I, days, I missed right? my kids, I, of course. I didn't, I didn't mean yeah. that. But it was nice to, you know, have a little little time. With, so you uh, had a babysitter and a dog sitter take care of everything? Yes. Grandparents, as a matter of fact. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, wow. You had someone take care of the dog, the kids and the grandparents. That is really no, thorough. Of no, you. the grandparents were a part of the I whole know. caring I know. Uh, paradigm. But uh, good to be back. Uh, yeah. Great to be back. Is this is this an interesting week news wise? Not particularly. I mean, yes and no. At the end of the day, isn't it always? I don't know. Some some weeks are more interesting than others, but we'll, we'll make so, yeah. we'll make something out of this. Yeah, we're going to try a couple of different things this week, but well, let's just get right into it. Right. We have yeah. a, we have a couple of segments we want to try and we're going to do the food groups and all that. So let's just go right into all this, uh, this amazing material. Yeah. Boom. Should we just get to the. Um, the four, four basic Yeah. How would we say that? Let's say in a second. Wir Lebensmittelgruppen. We want to play Grundnahrungsmittelgruppen. I mean, I don't know which one was you and which one was the actual German pronunciation. That's how good it was, Matt. Yeah, no, it was, that was that was pretty solid all the way. Identical. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's let's let, let's do our fear labor smith. Yes. OK. And that starts with me with Democrats suck. And here's what we got. OK, so this is a really great uh, heartwarming story. And this actually could also could serve as a, a ongoing theme. Remember, Matt, that The Washington Post had a fact checking um, bureau or archive, uh, they dissolved that after Trump because Trump is the only president who's ever lied. But we decided that on the off chance that Joe Biden ever lies, we should have a record of that, an archive of that. So just like a little crowdsourcing, we want our viewers and, and listeners feel free to, we implore you to give uh, help us compile that list. So we have actually two of those for this week. I don't know if we'll get a chance to, to get to both, but let's get at least get to one. Um, and reading at Slate, Joe Biden's craven death penalty reversal in the Boston bomber case. When Joe Biden took the oath of office at the 46th president, as the 46th president of the United States, opponents of America's death penalty, including me, celebrated. We took heart from his stated opposition to capital punishment and his campaign promise to end the federal death penalty. It seemed as if the United States had its first abolitionist president. Um, and then during the campaign, he pledged that he would stop federal executions, propose legislation to abolish the death penalty at the federal level, provide incentives for states to follow suit. Uh, he recognized that America's death penalty system is rife with error and unfairness. Because we can't ensure that we can that we get these cases right every time, candidate Biden tweeted, we must eliminate the death penalty. But here is what's pretty interesting. He has decided, he broke his promise, right? Instead of announcing the end to federal capital prosecutions, a moratorium on federal executions steps to dismantle the federal execution chamber in Terre Haute, Indiana, or support for congressional legislation to end the death penalty. Biden's first decision about capital punishment was to endorse it. Now, Matt, guess what? What do you think he he? OK, I'm going to read this to you. Guess if you can figure out what it's for. He broke his promise and failed his first death penalty test in a very big way when his administration filed a brief with the United States Supreme Court asking it to reinstate the death sentence of blank. 
Don't look. Did you already see it? Oh, it's for the it's for the, the Boston Bombers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or Joe Carr, whatever his name is. Yeah. So asking it to reinstate the death sentence of Boston Marathon bomber Zokar Tsarnev. Oh, Tsarnaev. Sorry. Okay, Tsarnaev. The brief defended the death penalty as an appropriate response to what it called one of the worst acts of terrorism on U.S. soil since September 11th. He was indeed sentenced to death for the 2013 bombing at the finish line of the Boston Marathon that killed three and wounded more than 260 others. And he's one of the 46 people now on the federal death on federal death row. And it was over. This is interesting. So his death sentence was overturned on July 31st by the first U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which ruled that the trial judge had not protected the defendant from potential bias during the jury selection process and had erred by excluding mitigating evidence. Not surprisingly, obviously, um, the uh, Trump administration brought the case to the Supreme Court last fall, seeking reinstatement of the death penalty. And ironically, the Biden Justice Department's position in the Sarnev case which it calls one of the most important terrorism prosecutions in our nation's history, turns out to be exactly the same as the position articulated by William Barr, Donald Trump's attorney general. Uh, The depths of the administration's hypocrisy are revealed when we recall what the president's press secretary said in March when the Supreme Court announced that it would take up the Sarnayev case. President Biden, Jim Psaki said at the time, made clear as he did on the campaign trail that he has grave concerns about whether capital punishment as currently implemented is consistent with the values that are fundamental to our sense of justice and fairness. Well, saying that you have grave concerns doesn't mean that you're right. Exactly. He doesn't know whether as currently implemented, it's consistent with the values that are fundamental to our sense of justice and fairness. Now, because we can't ensure this is very, this is very important. Ready during the campaign. Okay. He said, because we can't ensure that we get these cases right. Every time he tweeted, we must eliminate the death penalty. Now that was July. Oh, that's a little bit more unequivocal. Right. But what's interesting. So that's July 25th, 2019 that he tweets that in, in response to a, um, I think in a story about exoneration, here's what's interesting. So more recently, Saki is saying that he has his grave concerns about whether capital punishment as currently implemented is consistent with the values that are fundamental to our sense of justice and fairness. So basically the question is, does not getting the death penalty right every time, does does our inability to ensure that we get these cases right every time, does that contradict the values of uh, America? Is that consistent with our values? Well, it's unclear. I would think personally that executing, sometimes occasionally executing innocent people, I would say is is pretty clearly, and that is the premise, right? That Biden concedes. I would say, call me crazy, but I would say that that does inherently violate the uh, the principles of justice that we towards which we aspire. I mean, unless you're talking about like the three fifths clause, in which case it's actually pretty on brand. Right. You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. And that's not in the Constitution anywhere. Right. Right. It's true. Yeah. I think I think when you're when you're talking about the death penalty, you're you're supposed to be pretty confident that it's the right person. I think so too. That you're, I mean, that you're yeah. killing. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, this to me, I, my opposition to the death penalty is in principle, but I respect people honest enough to realize that it sucks to kill innocent people and that maybe that should pause it. Why, why do you think he's doing this? Because there's no politician in history that's ever been opposed to the death penalty for a convicted terrorist. Right. I, I mean, think, not that I know of, not, no, not a president. 
Well, actually, wait, say that again. There's no politician who what? Has has there been has there been a, a president or a, a prominent elected politician who's who has been come out against the death penalty for a convicted terrorist? Uh, I don't know if he came out against the death penalty, but Bernie Sanders believes that they have the right to vote. Remember that? Yeah, that's different. And You're Bernie Sanders like, isn't president either. No, I know, but you said high, you know, you said major politician. Right. Then you changed his president. But no, I'll grant you the president thing. But wouldn't it be funny if Bernie Sanders is like they they do deserve the death penalty, but during the time that they're on death row, I would like them to have the ability to cast their vote. But no, Bernie Sanders is actually against the death penalty. He is against so, the death penalty. Yeah. 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 Um but that's one of the reasons why I can't it's hard to imagine. I mean, why is Biden doing this? Because that's what politicians do. Right. I mean, he's right. although, you know, the the I think it's worth pointing out that even 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you probably wouldn't have even seen them take that him of course, take that right. phony position. Right. So I'm just saying the fact that he said it's, it's slow progress. I mean, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm more or less against the death penalty. So I'm for the death penalty for people like you who are ambivalent <laughs> about it. Get on board. Come on, man. Come on, man. You I'm can't mostly be, there. Mostly, yeah. Well, but I'm here's the point. There. Let me just say something, whatever. It's a lie. He lied. So this is one. Right, this is yeah. the first lie that we're I mean, we've documented other ones, but this is the day our archive starts. So this is uh, let it be. Sh let the record show that um, this is l Joe Biden line number one that we've that we've charted. We'll have a bunch of different re retroactive ones. I mean, I also right. just think it's a very typical case of like you just take a gruesome crime and use that to like defeat a principle. Right. Like, obviously, Biden's not going to point to some, like, poor, abused black person um, who killed someone who's on death row. And, and, you know, this is the perfect thing of having it at the Olympics. I mean, sorry, having it at the marathon. This is how much I understand sports, but at least I caught myself. So here's another one. This is this is more of a sly lie. This is just an overt lie and disappointment. This isn't a lie as much as it is just, like, I guess kind of ridiculous the u.s embassy pos what's that i mean pos is, shit. that's what i'm gonna say so the u.s embassy uh tweeted out the government of the united states of america has made a donation of covid19 vaccines to the government of trinidad and tobago the donation includes 80 vials of pfizer vaccines the united states is committed to assisting the government of Trinidad and Tobago with its vaccination efforts. We believe that every vaccine counts. Here is the population of that country, 1.395 million. This is gonna be fun because I'm gonna argue the devil's advocate position what? after you whine about this. Go ahead. What? Well, I just think that 80 vials is like a drop in the bucket. Oh, do you want, we can take it back. Should we take it back? Uh, maybe we should. I say go big or go home. So yeah, send them back. Okay. Take them back. I'm kidding, obviously. But, I know, yeah, yeah. Know. Um, and by the way, POS is um the official U.S. Embassy of Port of Spain, Trinidad and Tobago. Port of Spain, right? Not not piece of shit. Yeah. What were we thinking? But I mean, again, it's like it's pretty funny. Like you know, it probably costs more just to do the bureaucratic work. To, yeah to send 80 vials then it costs to actually make and deliver the 80 you know what i'm saying like yeah right it's true like if you i don't i don't know how they mail them do they mail them in the vials 
it's just hard to conceive of a, a transaction that small. Yeah. You know? you know, yes, because also I, I would argue that, you know, you can buy things in bulk, right? Like the more things that you buy, you get a discount. So if you right. do wholesale, I bet like I bet that you could get a lot. Uh, you get more bang for your buck. Right. Right. It's just hard to like what what would you even send it in like a coffee can? It's like oh, a really a small idea. package, you know? Yeah, like a fruit basket, but right. instead of of fruit, you could just have or like a like, little like a Ziploc bag. A Ziploc bag. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of that old Richard Pryor routine about the boxer who got arrested for having a dollar and 50 cents worth of cocaine. Like you can't have a dollar and 50 cents worth. It's right. like it's gone, you know? Yeah. Uh, 80 vials is like whose idea was that? That's that's something we have to get to the bottom of. Yeah, is that some symbolism? Maybe it's somebody who just really hates Trinidad and Tobago and is yeah. like got a headline for you. Well, also, I mean it's 400 vials each for 400 for Trinidad. 400 for Tobago. 40. Sorry, that was a Freudian slip where I believed that they were slightly better than they are. Yeah, I can't believe it. 40, 40 each, 40 vials, Jesus Christ. Well, you know what, to be fair, Biden did say, America will be the arsenal of vaccines in our fight against COVID-19, just as America was the arsenal of democracy during World War II. What's the definition of arsenal? It's, a, it's like- A stockpile of weapons. Right, but that doesn't, well, yes. And it's an arsenal. Because an arsenal does not mean that you're sending out the weapons, right? So we're actually maintaining the arsenal by not giving it away. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 80 vials. That's kind of, that is, that is, that is funny. Can you imagine, yeah, imagine like the person, like, like if you're the person on the embassy staff down there and they're like, can you tweet out that we're going to give away 80 vials? Like, I mean, you think it's like a Stonehenge spinal tap type of thing? Yeah, it could. Maybe that's got to be what it is. Right? It right? was like we thought it was 8,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just do what the talent tells me to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I do it. And I, I, well, it's not your job to be as confused as Joe Biden, is it? True. Right? Yeah, that's true. He doesn't get paid. I don't <laughs> I, get paid do the big by, bucks to, right. to get uh, to to be totally confused and demented about it. Yeah. Right. So he's getting dragged um, justifiably, understandably for doing this. And China, you know, actually is mocking him for doing it. Well, they should. They should. Chinese media mocks U.S. donation of 80 vaccine vials to Trinidad and Tobago. So the official Xinhua news agency said on Wednesday in an article on WeChat, would this be selected for the worst public relations award of the year? And they compiled more than 10 mocking tweets by other social media users under a U.S. embassy Twitter statement announcing the donation. I love the fact that the Chinese media is now doing that that form of news story where they compile a bunch of mocking tweets. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I, I, I mean, it's like the Daily Beast, but Chinese. Yeah, right. the, the Daily Chinese Beast. Yeah. <laughs> right. By the way, it's kind of funny because at the same time you have like people writing overtly writing articles warning that China is giving away vaccines in the hope to like have influence in Latin America. It's like, well, somebody's got to do it. So again, if you want to use the Cold War, the new Cold War to, to spur the United States into actually doing the right thing, then by all means, let's do it. In fact, uh, Joe Biden, if you're watching, you don't want China to beat us in this. Right, right. I love he, that that's Maybe he thought that that's, all, that's how many people were in Trinidad and Tobago. That's yeah, that is too. true. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is true. So we got to get to the bottom of that. I think that's that's a, that's a story we have to find out a little bit more. Maybe it's yeah. somebody's idea of a joke. Like you know, we we shouldn't judge until we know. Yeah, who? Maybe someone lost a bet. Maybe someone has a grudge. Against... Maybe we're penalizing them for something. Yeah. Like living, I don't know, whatever it is. All right, that is we do more Republican like the suck? amount of donating to a nursing home, not a whole country. Someone tweeted, "Yeah, yeah, let's do Republicans suck." I don't have a great one. But Mike Pompeo is trying to start this movement to give a name to, to the folk who back people such as him. Smartest, best sea officer that I ever came to know is Air Force Special Operations Officer. I'd ask him about someone who was working on our team and say, love that guy, pipe hitter. You know what he meant? He meant that person got stuff done. They were a grinder. So this is this is the the name that he's trying to give to people who are donating to his new pack. He wants them to be to self-identify as pipe hitters. Yeah, well, nothing wrong with that. Well, there there are there is I think. First of all, pipe hitter is something you call somebody who smokes crack. Right. I, I know it's a thing that they talk about in the in the military. That that is like actually I think a military slang term, and viewers slash listeners please correct me if i'm incorrect about that but there's that and then there's the whole it just makes everybody think of that scene in pulp fiction doesn't it where marcellus talks about getting the pipe hitting what is i don't actually remember that you know what scene i'm talking about no all right matt can we play the scene from uh from pulp fiction call a couple of hard pipe hitting to go to work on the homes here pipe hitting that's like the only pop culture reference to pipe hitting that there is I think pipe hitter also, I think there has there aren't there some like sexual connotations there. Oh, right. Like some uh, I saw this was trending on Twitter. I think someone was like laying pipe or something, which is, of course, oh, pipe, pipe in that case is the penis. But the reason that I think that's so fun, the reason that that's interesting is note that he says grinder. Right, because that's where website. he spends all his time. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the Urban Dictionary pipe hitter, the people who smoke crack and therefore, and can therefore accomplish a diff- difficult, dangerous, disturbing things because they only care about their next high. Well, blah, if their blah, next blah. high is like droning a country or regime changing, it's right. kind of addicted to that, yeah. What should someone who supports who supports a Pompeo pack be called instead of a pipe hitter? Why not a pipe hitter? A dick. Oh, you're saying how dare we, who are we to judge him unless we're providing an alternative? Right, right, something like that. I mean, I just—it's just funny because it's—it's it's, again, it's kind of a classically Republican cl- thing to be clueless about, like to right. not know that it's a—it's a crack smoking thing. Right. I mean, no. you know what, Matt? Maybe he is just uh, trying to destigmatize drug use, like t- p- taking a page from uh, Hunter Biden's book, who we spoke about last right. week. He's so reaching much- out to Hunter. Yeah. Well, so much. Someone tweeted, if Pompeo isn't careful, Hunter Biden might show up with a pipe hitter resume. <laughs> it just makes me makes my heart warm for the old school Republican who would who would not know. Like, what was the one? Remember the teabag phenomenon? Remember that? Yeah, with, tea, tea, yeah. What was that? That was the. It's really funny, by the way, because this is clearly uh, stuck in his claw. Is that the right? No, craw. craw. <laughs> Mine? So, 
No, no, no. Pompeo's because right now it's what it's we're taping on June 16th and uh, at 11.44 a.m. He tweeted, one of the best CIA officers I work with was a former special operator. When I'd ask him about someone, if they were top notch, he'd say, love that guy, pipe hitter. He meant that person got stuff done and was dedicated to the mission. All of us need to be pipe hitters. So he's like, you know, he's justifying. Right. Remember they had the, the tea party people. Yeah, of course. Had like the, they had the whole like teabag the 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 IRS. Oh yeah, and then who who's the person who like teabag the liberal Dems the before daily? they teabag yeah. you? Right, and no. teabagging is like when you put your balls in someone's mouth or your face or something. Yeah, you gotta you gotta like squat. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. It's like so, you're, you're, you're I mean, <laughs> it makes sense though. To be, I mean, I keep saying to be fair. I mean, in their defense. They do want to do that, right? They want. They it's want like the suck my their... whatever equivalent. Bag my team, team my bag. I mean, it doesn't really. Well, make they sense, were but... they were they were referencing the Great Tea Party. They were talking yeah, about, yeah, of course, like, right? The, you know, the other kind of tea. Yeah, of course. They well, weren't saying lower your balls into the mouth of the, of the IRS. Well, uh, they were saying basically we should do that. Right, but they were but. They were calling themselves teabaggers, I guess. I know, okay. no. Yeah, who was the person who pointed that out? I can't remember, but. I mean, everybody um, pointed it out. Right, I got yeah. in trouble for talking about it with Michelle Why? Malkin, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, One of the many times you hung out with Michelle Malkin. Yeah, um, exactly, yeah. Apparently, there's another definition. There is? So. Someone who is unapologetically American, someone who fights for our future, someone who never gives an inch, someone who is dedicated to stand against the radical left's agenda. I mean, that's, I guess, what uh, what someone put that up on the pack. Uh, a pipe hitter. Yeah. They, they, you can be all those things and smoke crack. Right. Yeah. Why are they going to throw crack smokers under the bus like that? Right. We should. What do you want it to mean? Like, because they're just taking whatever they want it to mean. So what do you would you like it to mean? What would I like pipe hitter yeah. to mean? Pipe. Yeah. I, I guess I guess it could be like. I mean, now if they're going to mix metaphors like that, a pipe hitter should be someone who gives to Mike Pompeo's pack and smokes crack. Maybe someone who sells crack in order to fund their donations. Republicans? Yeah. Okay. There is something called the Pipe Hitters Union, by the way. Pipe Hitters Union. And it has, for people just listening, it has a skull and crossbones, whatever. It looks like strongly like sort of Republican. Maggot almost ethos. Like, yeah, it almost has like a Republican, not goth, but something. And do yeah, you know it's who got the, a little, little, little like uh, steampunk. Little, Is that the word? Word steampunk. Steampunk. It's like MAGA meets the the Walking Dead. Yeah, a little bit, right? Yeah. Do you? That know? would actually be a good show concept. Yeah, it would be actually. It's MAGA you know? meets the Walking Dead meets Jersey Shore. But the original pipe hitter, according to them, was Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson. Uh, here, here's the thing. Because he massacred the Seminoles? What did he? Original pipe hitter, Andrew Jackson Canvas. A warrior against the corrupt aristocracy, an advocate for democracy and the common man. His toughness was legendary, earning him the name Old Hickory, a virtue that makes him the perfect person to become the fourth of our series' original pipe hitter. Old Hickory joins George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt as one of a as a one-of-a-kind design that you'll only find at Pipe Hitters Union. Well, now useful idiots clearly. That's not chronological at all. No, it's it's in pipe hitter. It's in pipe hittery. Right, right. Who'd be the next person in that series? 
Kurt Loader. Kurt Loader, right. I um, like it. He's like squat. Wait, Matt. What? Look at this. Talk about teabagging. In this image, he's squatting. He is. So he it could be a teabagging pipe hitter. Who is he teabagging there, though? That looks probably like, a Native American. Yeah, that's like a Seminole. He's probably teabagging a Seminole during the Seminole Wars. Yeah, because he has a uh, feather in his cap or feather in his hair. Oh, this is interesting because it's kind of like hippie aesthetic. Right. Super thick two inch gallery wrap. So this should be like a special subset of like really hardcore conservatives who are into teabagging and smoking crack. Yeah. They smoke up that crack. They got to find someone to squat over. Right. And then who are Very they teabagging? Whoever, wherever there's conflict. Right. I'm I'm kind of disturbed by the being like a warrior in times of peace. And they have a sweatshirts that have are called the gun depot, the ammo depot. Well, that one guy's wearing like a he's got there's a Humvee and a guy in a with this 50 caliber machine gun. You can't tell though if he's if he's teabagging someone inside the Humvee. Right. And and here's the last thing I'll share. This one, this is a pretty wholesome image if we could just show that one. I shouldn't generalize cuz some of their their images are more wholesome than others. The Jason one? Yeah. Original Pipe Hitters Union with uh Jason Jason uh, Voorhees. Yeah, of Crystal Lake. Crystal Camp Crystal Lake. Camp Crystal Lake and it's and written on his is that a sword? It's a machete. That? Okay, written on his machete is, as always, Pipe Hitters Union. Did he teabag any of his victims, Jason? Uh, maybe in the outcuts, outtakes. That would make that movie more interesting. Yeah. That's just, the whole series would be interesting. All right, so All right. so so just generally Republican pipe hitters. I mean, I we should make a list of. Yeah. Or probably we're missing some other references. Yeah. Like where yeah. they, where, send where us they, your references. Yeah. Like if you if you can remember other times where they where they misuse a word, you know, like they don't know what what a certain thing is like right. you know we're, we're the we're the fraudage club or something like that right yeah. uh, or say something like yeah weird with like yeah. a weird subtext yeah right 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 yeah so send us any any uh notations on that all right what do we have for uh isn't that um weird? okay so isn't that weird this article comes from entrepreneur.com um people want jeff bezos to buy and eat the mona lisa the petition already has thousands of signatures there are petitions online that support thousands of causes, but there are some that are just strange. Such is the case of an initiative on the change.org portal that seeks to get Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world and founder of Amazon, to buy Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa and eat it. I like it. Yeah, I think it was good, right? Tired of waking up to a world where Bezos hasn't consumed the Mona Lisa. It would be epic. That's from Reddit. And of course, Bezos plan to travel into space with his brother on July 20th on a rocket from his company Blue Origin. This isn't that weird because we he famously ate an iguana. Did he eat an iguana? We have it on the show uh, two months ago. There's okay, we both have uh, senior brains, but Matt's is way worse than mine. Yeah, it is true. Yeah, here, here's the image. Actually, we should put a thing of him. Let's make this somehow Mona Lisa instead of I mean, look, when you when you get really rich, there's not a whole lot left to do except like eat shit that other people wouldn't. Right. And that's why they like to watch shows about people who go into luxury restaurants and eat testicles and tea bags and stuff like that. Yeah. And tea tea bags. Bags. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's eating, he, he ate an iguana. The, 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 the Mona Lisa I'm a little conflicted about though. 
Yeah, I don't want it to be ruined. I'd like it to be a, a copy of it. What do you think? I mean, I think it should be something more like he should eat the Hope Diamond or well, no, not even that, because even that's beautiful. I don't know. So what's, what's the thing? Oh, why doesn't he eat the painting of Andrew Jackson? Eat the, the pipe hitter. He could eat the painting of Andrew Jackson. He may he, get those people upset. Hitler's paintings. He, he could eat. How about just eating like a whole pallet of cash? Or what about this? George Bush's paintings. Of Putin, oh, are, you know, cute, though. I think they're cute. But like, look, this is a time where, you know, by, Bush should be ashamed of seeing the humanity in, in little dictator, as Joanne Reed calls him today, little dictator Putin. Um, I think that would be a good way for them to fully rehabilitate George right. Bush by have by eating his painting of Putin, because anything humanizing Putin is bad. That's true. That's true. So he should eat that. I mean, I, 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 in the spirit of the idea, like you, what you should really do is have him get a whole lot of money together and eat it in front of a bunch of hungry people. Yeah, you're right. You That's what, what I mean? he should. Yeah, like, he I should think, burn I, it so it's like charred, not full burning, just a little right. charred. Yeah. Yeah. Put a little hot sauce on it, or so he could, he could stuff an iguana with cash. Oh my God! He should do a gender reveal party. Oh, that's right. Where he puts a cash bomb into an iguana. Right, right. And it's either blue or pink, pink ink, right. right? And it just blows up. It blows up the iguana. Yeah, which is what I thought those parties did last time, <laughs> even though it just blows up and it's, you know, yeah. Right. Or an, or an alligator or a hippo. Yeah. A hippo, right. yeah. Right, Hippos right, right. are so cute. Yeah. That is funny. So how many signatures do they have? Let's see. 7,429 people. Yeah. And how many do they need? They say 7,500, but. Well, watch this. Ready? I wish I could screen share because I'm about to help them reach that goal. It's okay. I'll videotape it later. No, but that's, it's an artificial number. It'll, it'll be 8,000 in a minute. Oh yeah. You're right. I guess you're right. Reasons for signing. Um, He needs to eat the Mona Lisa to save the world. I don't know who else is going to eat it. It's Jeff Bezos. He must eat Mona Lisa or else eat, eat, eat. Join my server of like-minded individuals. And then it's a Discord thing. So that's just self-promo. I guess just because like the world is <laughs> fucked, that, that would, it makes it funny. Like it just is a way to express how, how stupid the world is right now. Right. Jeff Bezos eating the Mo Mona Lisa. As, as long as he shits it out in space, someone writes. <laughs> uh this is important. It needs to be done. A better use than hoarding all that money so he can feel like he's special. At least someone gets fed this way. Um, it's got a little bit of human centipede humor in there, in there yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. Just now, I had no idea I needed Jeff Bezos to eat Mona, but I realized that I can hardly live with Mona hanging in a frame now. It must go into Bezos's mouth ASAP. I think they should at least try to get him to comment on it. I agree. And if he doesn't, what's he saying? Jeff, I'll forgive your evil doings if you redeem yourself this once become the red dragon does he have to does he have to eat the frame too i don't know eat the effing painting jeff well i i, I would agree i mean isn't that weird or is it maybe it's isn't that awesome yeah i, I mean i think they need to get more signatures if it's if it's up to like a million signatures then it starts yeah. to get funny yeah you're right not right? it's not funny yet once you once once you get to eight billion signatures where the whole world is demanding this then, then it becomes uncomfortable for him. Right. Right. Because then, then, then everywhere he goes, everybody he meets, he's got to be thinking like that person wants me to eat the Mona Lisa. 
right now though he can he can go his whole life and never run face to face with a person right who, exactly right, right yeah. you're right but yeah so but then, once they, you, they gotta get happen, yeah. they gotta get more people is he not afraid that he's gonna just die in space um i think maybe some people it's a are... suicide mission because his life is kind of a mess i think it's just a billionaire yeah rich being rich and bored kind of right. situation why doesn't he go volunteer somewhere why doesn't he do some gardening community garden or something because fuck that yeah i guess you're right right i yeah. mean if you had 200 billion dollars would you do that no no yes I no i would i thought you meant would i go to the moon uh to space no i would i would do a gardening thing i would go to space yeah, yeah. by the way we're gonna have you know we're gonna have to do uh something on the summit next week we we should okay. just warn you guys that we didn't have time to do that this week but we'll have follow-ups yeah all right so for uh, isn't that uh terrible i'm doing a story I, it, this is pretty predictable because everybody was talking about this one and as usual it could have it could have gone in the other category as well this has everything that we like about that we always like to include in the in this segment because it this news story is perfect so the headline is cape cod diver left with a whale of a tail after a humpback spat him out so this is about a guy well we're, we're gonna read what happened to him but already it's mandatory with these with these news stories for them to, to, to do dumb puns as much as possible in the headline and in the and in the lead so whale of a tail i mean i guess that's sort of a play on words right oh yeah but then the lead down here is uh a cape cod lobster diver is safe friday uh following a fluke encounter with a humpback whale that nearly made him the leviathan's lunch so that's so that's great like there's yeah. there's alliteration all over the place Leviathan's lunch, fluke, Friday fluke following, and the fluke is the is the is the bad pun. It, this, this is like journalism one on one. It's it's great. Michael Packard was diving off the coast of Provincetown, Massachusetts, uh, Friday when the capital cetacean caught him unawares. I got down to about forty five feet of water, and all of a sudden, I just felt this huge bump, and everything went dark. And I was like, "Oh my god, did I just get bit by a shark?" Then I felt around, and I realized there were, there was no teeth. And I, and I had felt really no great pain. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm in a whale's mouth. I'm in a whale's mouth and he's trying to swallow me. Packard, an experienced diver, told WBZ, which is the uh, affiliate in Boston, um, that he still had his breathing apparatus on in the whale's mouth. One of the things that went through my mind was just, oh my God, what if he does swallow me? And here I am, I'm breathing air and I'm gonna breathe in this whale's mouth until my air runs out. Okay, this is it, I'm gonna die. After what? Packard estimated it to be about 30 seconds in the mammal's mandibles. Again, great alliteration there. He said the whale surfaced quickly and, sped him out and spit him out. All of a sudden, he went up to the surface and just erupted and started shaking his head. I got thrown in the air and landed in the water, and I was free, and I just floated there. I couldn't believe it, he added. I couldn't believe I got out of that, and I'm here to tell it. I, th I think we, we like this, this story, right? Yeah, I, I like this story for a lot of reasons, but you, you, you explain why you liked it. It's just funny, right? Like the guy, first of all, the, the sort of hand-fisted uh, writing is, is great. It's classic, right? And then the you know, the fact that the whale didn't mean to do it and just felt this kind of gross rubbery thing in his mouth and, and spat him out. That's why we like whales. I was going right? to say, what I like about this is that it really, in the fate, you know, we live in a time of, of Sharkaganda. And I really appreciate how he reminds us this could have been a lethal encounter had it been a shark. Right. But because and it was it's not a, a whale, shark. Right. It was a baleen bearing 
right back well that must have been insane though imagine that feeling must have shot himself that, that, oh, might, have yeah. made, that might have made the whale angry although i guess he would have done it in his rubber suit right so. yes well you know what you know why it'd be impossible for him to have been swallowed why because uh he's uh, too big for the whale's throat. esophagus you know yeah. how big they usually are uh the size of a fist oh so what okay. they do is they lunge it's called lunge feeding they mm -hmm. just open their mouth they they don't really i think they don't even see at the time no they get all that krill in there and then they they shoot the water out through yeah. the yeah it's almost like what we do with mouthwash mm -hmm. but if the mouthwash had little like microorganisms in it yeah and it yeah little yeah. shrimp yeah little shrimp yeah and yeah. whatever else yeah uh it's a little like sitting down to a really nice meal and into your mouth flies a fly that's what a uh marine biologist said yeah um yeah there were a lot of news stories about this none of them i i, I have to command i think cnn did the best the best goofy write-up of this story it's crazy but he could have the been guy got a lot of airtime ha ha is that a pun it was not see these things you write see? themselves yeah that's really crazy i guess it's not terrible this is this isn't this uplifting yeah isn't it literally uplifting but this is weird so just looking at this article um at cnn they quote this guy charles mayo a marine biologist at, at the center for coastal studies I don't really trust he's a marine biologist because listen to this. It's a little like sitting down into a really nice meal and into your mouth flies a fly. If you came up to atmospheric pressure and you've held your breath, you could develop an embolism. He must have kept his cool to get out of a situation like that. You have to be a top pro. The reason he's still around is because he's smart. He's a smart guy. He's a tough guy and he's a lucky guy. What did he do that was smart? I mean, did I'm not get, shaming get him by a whale to not get eaten by a whale. The whale couldn't have eaten him even if it wanted no, to. No, I, I, no, I'm saying that the he got swallowed by he got he got he fell into a whale's mouth that's what he did that was right. smart and he kept his cool as opposed to what like punching it and how do we know he kept his cool he could have been he could have Shitting been freaking himself. out yeah right i right. think that's very weird i mean for that marine biologist to say yeah the credit goes to the whale in this situation yeah you know although the whale didn't really have a choice either right so he opened yeah because but actually there is one do you know what kind of whale could eat a human being if they wanted to? Yeah, sperm whale or... How do you know that? Well, any of the toothy whales could have done how do you, it. Yeah, I know. But how do you know about that toothy versus baleen whale? Uh, I'm from I'm from a uh, oh, yeah. whaling state. You are. Yeah, I used to live right. right next to the home of Moby Dick. Right. That's Bedford. true, of course. So, yeah. That's probably not the only whale that could do it. No, but it has to be a toothed whale. Right, it has to be a tooth whale. And oh, but uh, yeah, I mean, not because of the teeth part, but because of the esophagus size. Right. But it, it's it's happened before, by the way, to people. Some kayakers um, been swallowed and, up by baleen whales. Yeah, although I guess it's technically not swallowed; it's like mouthwashed, right? Scooped up. I don't know. And then, of course, in the Bible, right, the whole Jonah thing. Yeah, the Bible is weird, though. It says a great fish. Oh, interesting. I go, I, I don't read, read Aramaic, so I don't really know what the hell it's Beyond the original, yeah. We got to find yeah. out. Yeah. The Bible's weird, though, Colin. Um, Matt That's a critique. Yeah, it is a t-shirt. The Bible's we should weird, have though. A we should have a useful idiot's guide to the Bible. Oh, that would be great. Right? I tried to rewrite the Bible once. When? Uh, about, about 10 years ago, I, I was trying to do like a like a more readable version of it. 
Well, let's do it. Useful um, idiot's guide. To, I got uh, to like Genesis 26 or something ridiculous. You stayed in the and, Genesis phase, though. Right. Well, yeah. there's only a Genesis of. It took me that long to realize that it wasn't funny, which oh, okay. should tell you something about your faith, how much my, you believe in God. Yes. And uh, and some other endeavors that I've been involved with professionally. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, all right. So that uh, that happened. I don't know. I thought that was I thought that was funny, but um... no, it is. It is. I mean, what's funny about it is that what do you think you would have thought if that had happened? Like if, I, if you're swimming around or diving or whatever, what do you think it is? You get so what, whatever the guy that marine biologist said praising that other guy, he wouldn't have said that about me because what I, I would have found the one way to screw this up and Which would die, have been of, die, die of fright or right or kill the whale accidentally. Yeah, just start punching sw it. Swim the wrong way, you know. Right. So there was water in the mouth, obviously, right? It's so scary. Well, that was whales uh, are nice, except for orcas who are assholes. Orcas are basically sharks. You ever seen those films of the orcas uh, dragging seals off the beach no, and playing volleyball no, with them? No, that that sounds so typical, though. It's kind of awesome, actually. It's awful. Yeah, it's horrible, but it's it's that's really, an isn't that really terrible, good? Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, so that happened. Those are the four food groups. I mean, speaking of 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 water and and washing, I just want to give this could be our woke wash. We got a woke wash of the week. Ice. Uh, nice, right? So this is a tweet from. Shout out to ICE. Uh, during Pride Month, uh, we recognize our LGBTQ employees reflect on the trials that their community has endured and rejoice with them in the triumphs of those who have bravely fought and continue to fight for full equality. Notice to be I mean, notice that they do say we recognize our LGBTQ um, plus employees. So, uh, I mean, that's good because they could not our targets. Yeah, not our targets. Right. And, you know, of course, what makes it really cool is that uh, some of the people that are, are that ICE, ref, you know, targets uh, are trans people or LGBT, I mean, LGBTQ plus people. We should put who, together like a little sizzle reel of all the dumbest Pride Month. Yeah. Things, like all the corporate, because I'm sure Raytheon did it. Yeah, right? exactly. I was thinking, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, what's another company? Purdue Pharma. If we, if we, strung those all together i think that'd be pretty funny but ice is a pretty good one ice is a really good one and right. and and you know what coming we are close... we are breaking into your house or your place of employment and we're going to send you to Back. another country maybe not even the one you're actually right. from Could, right and uh, yes but we respect you know your decisions right. about we respect your lifestyle choice no they, that's that's old school we respect I'm sorry. your your no. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see. Right, right. Uh, we respect your orientation or whatever. And that is not why we're sending you back to your death. Right. It's unrelated. It's unrelated. It's, right. It's maybe why the why the people who are going to kill you, they may care, but we don't care. Right. In a different circumstance where we weren't trying to get you out of the country and put you right. in a life threatening situation uh, forever or right. separate your family. Right. Yeah. Your family members from. from right. In, in a situation that wasn't that we would respect your whatever. Yeah. Well, I would say we respect it and we that doesn't give you uh, the right to, to life. Right. Yes. Like we would be doing this to oh, you I if say. you were straight, if you were cis. Right. You're equal opportunity deporters. Right. That's what right. they're saying, really. We're going to use the proper nomenclature. 
Right. We will. Yes, we will use your preferred pronouns as we describe, as we send out a description for you to be located by lo local law enforcement if we can't make it there into the church where you're seeking refuge. Right. Into the sanctuary in which you're currently residing in the yeah. hopes of not being sent back to your deaths. Or um, under, under the house where, you know, you've been living, you know, you, you thought in safety. Right. And this actually goes very well, very nicely, hand in hand with the story that we talked about last week. I think it was a Substack only. So you're definitely going to want to become Substack only subscribers. But uh, Kamala Harris, uh, in her beautiful, uh, and we did a quiz, you're going to want to take that quiz, who said it, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, or Kamala Harris. But Kamala Harris did tell people from Guatemala, do not come. This, uh, it was just this week that uh, reading at Pink News, tireless fighter and beloved trans activist assassinated just meters from her home in Guatemala. Uh, Andrea Gonzalez, a 28-year-old who helmed trans rights groups, Otrans Reinas de la Noche, or Queens of the Night, was slain in what some activists have called an assassination. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because Kamala Harris said, do not come. And at the same time, she's very aware of the root causes, as she calls them, uh, behind uh, people wanting to to come to the United States, right? And one of those root causes, she says, is transphobia. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I'm not like blaming her for this person's death, but it is interesting that this happened and her message to people coming from that country about whom she cares so much um, is do not come. Right. Mm -hmm. Do not come because... Do not come despite the fact that you have a lot of transphobia. And that's, of course, bullshit. That's not a root cause. That's not a root cause. That's a, a that's like a a symptom. I mean, the violence and instability is, is, is a symptom that the United States helps create. I mean, yeah. you could. I don't know. The, the, whole, the whole thing is ridiculous. It. Yeah, it's, it's just so ridiculous. It's just no, no matter what it is, it's like yeah. having having somebody come to your country and be like, don't come is pretty fucked. Like no matter yeah, what, right? Don't come. Instead, turn around. Don't come. Stay in that country where there's a lot of uh, homophobia and transphobia and uh, violence against, in her own words, right? Uh, Kamala Harris's words: violence against uh, LGBTQ, Indigenous, BIPOC, Latin, whatever she she goes through. So yeah. Well, at, at woke least Trump, woke Trump. Yeah, at least at least ICE. You know, has has they're gonna they're gonna have the right terminology, so that's good. Right, they're gonna wish you happy Pride Month as they deport you. Right, put you into zip ties and push you over the border. Rainbow zip ties. Rainbow zip ties. Yeah, I think we need those. Yeah, we do need those. Yeah. yeah. So we are really excited uh, to have on the show joining us today, Ross Barkin, who is a journalist and he is the author of a new book called The Prince, which is about. Um, I had to read that in high school. Yes. Well, it's a remake, actually. Oh, it's oh, a remake. Okay. Yeah. This is the cover of The Prince. It's like actually something I would do. I'm, that sounds so condescending. It's something I would do. It's so good. It's, it's something so I would do. It's so me. Oh, there we go. Okay, we go, I like right? it. So, yeah. so for people who are just listening, we got uh, Andrew Cuomo's face in uh, put into Machiavelli's Prince. Yeah, um, Isby's wearing that kind of Machiavellian cloak. Yeah. It's a good so, look. I like it that. It is a good look, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, the Prince, Andrew Cuomo, and Andrew Cuomo, Coronavirus, and the Fall of New York. 
right? Or is it Andrew Cuomo and the fall coronavirus of New York? Unclear. I'm just kidding. It's obviously not that. Uh, and it's by Or Books. So make sure that you check it out. It's really great. Also, you can follow Ross's Substack, uh, which is at rossbarkin.substack.com. And it's called Political Currents. Uh, yeah, he's a columnist at The Guardian. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk to him about all things New York, about the mayor's race, about uh, the governor, the prince, and so no, much we're, more. We're huge, we're huge Cuomo fans. We're Cuomo-sexuals. Cuomo-sexuals, yeah. At the end of the us. day, yeah. Also follow and him at- the at, beginning, frankly. 24-7, yeah. 24-7. <laughs> no, matter, no matter what time no matter of the, the day time, is, yeah. like, we're ready, we're game. Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes you got to take a break, right? Just to-, to Recharge. Recharge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's fair. But, uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at Ross Barkin. And uh, by the way, PMC, by the way, just some some uh, just so in case anyone needs to know certain acronyms, uh, PMC is professional managerial class and PBA is the Police Benevolent Association. And the CCRB is the Civilian right. Control CCRB Review Board. CCRB is Civilian Control Review Board. Yeah. Cuomo is the governor. Um, what else do they need to know? Just kidding. FOMO is fear of missing out. That's true. Yeah, that's actually, you know, when Matt and I have to recharge for the, to be active homosexuals, we get uh, Cuomo FOMO mm. mm -hmm. and then we got to recharge so that we're yeah to get in touch with our homosexuality. But during that short homosexuality recharging window, what gets us back into the zone is the Cuomo FOMO. Should we just should we should we talk to him? Let's talk to Ross. Let's talk. You know what? Let's talk to Ross. Let's just do it, guys. The Wayne's World thing. Which one's that? <laughs> never mind. I'm, I'm too old. The we're not worthy? Are, what was no, that? No, no, never did. Five, four, three. Welcome. So excited to have on Ross Barkin. And uh, we are really excited to ask you about the mayor's race in New York City and, of course, your book on Cuomo. And uh, I thought that maybe one of our favorite people. Oh, yeah. We're, we're Cuomo sexuals here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, can we get into that? Because the Republican Party actually isn't meaningfully split right now. It's it's basically you have, you have to suck up to Trump or you're out basically. Uh, but the Democratic Party is. Uh, can you can you talk about the, the extent to which the divisions within the Democratic Party sure. are, in, are on display in this mayoral race, which is yeah, another thing you've written de about? Definitely. So, so yeah, I mean, I think the, the Democratic Party is, is more ideologically diverse and factionalized. I mean, I do think the Republican Party does have kind of this like vaguely populist, like sort of left economic, like vaguely, I don't want to say left, like like sort of half left economic populist race, yeah populist with like josh hawley and you have kind of traditional conservatives like hoping to research themselves but yeah but the defining element is fealty to trump like you do not survive this republican party without fealty to trump so i think that kind of eliminates the factions because you know if you're liz cheney you just get canceled jeff flake canceled right elise stefanik reinvents herself as a trump republican she ascends we know the story and the 2024 primary, it will be about fealty to Trump, which is something I thought would happen. I'm not surprised to seeing it happen unless Trump himself runs, which also could happen. But yeah, the, the Democratic primary for mayor, I mean, it's very interesting. So, so New, York, New York City, it's a massive city, right? I, I always tell people, you know, think of this more as a statewide contest and like a municipal race because of the amount of people voting. You, you have 
an electorate in the millions and probably you're going to get around 800,000 Democrats coming to vote. So in a lot of states, you know, a lot of places, that's a statewide electorate. So, so you start right there. Um, and, and New York is a, is a very democratic city. It is certainly more progressive than it used to be. There's no doubt about it. The left is much more ascendant than it was even 10 years ago. DSA has been winning victories in the state legislature from New York City um, in the last few years. You know, AOC won in New York City. So all, the caveat being the left is healthier than it's ever been in New York. But the big but is the electorate is definitely ideologically diverse and it is not simply the, you know, this kind of, culturally liberal, you know, PMC like, you know, approach to politics, you know, you have a very big, moderate, black and Latino working class that does come out to vote blacks in particular, many of them are older voters, many of them are church going, many of them are, you know, hold, you know, economically left of center positions, more socially moderate, certainly hold views on policing that are not the views on policing that kind of like the professional left thinks they should hold. You also right. have like a big Asian population that is also mixed ideologically. You know, Trump grew his vote share in New York City. And this is true in cities throughout America, but the Latino vote in New York City, like in other places, swung toward Trump. Not Latinos are still voting Democrat in much bigger numbers, but that is where his gains were. So it's important to like keep that in mind you have a very diverse electorate. You have like older, like progressive liberals. You have like older moderates. You have like young leftists. You know, you have Orthodox Jews who are growing in their share of the vote. So it's, there's so many factions. Like, like there's just so many different factions. So a winner has to knit together different coalitions. Something Bill de Blasio did, which progressives like rarely do, which is he was able to, to knit together white progressives and black moderates. This is kind of like the holy grail for the left that, that can never quite get pulled off. It usually gets pulled off by moderates or by Barack Obama, who did it as well. So Bill de Blasio did this. People maligned him. But in 2013, you know, he had a multiracial family. He ran a very good campaign. He, he, he brought these people together and he brought Latinos in as well. The 2021 race is much more fractured. Right now, the, the moderates are absolutely winning. We'll see what happens on Tuesday. We have ranked choice voting. We're not going to know till July because the absentee ballots get counted after. New York State has talked about Jim Crow like laws. People fulminate about the South. New York State like had the worst vote laws in America until like a year or two ago. So, you know, the closest thing to to that is honestly in New York. So, you know, we, we have a super incompetent patronage written board of elections. So, so, the, so the moderates, right? Like right now, the front runner is probably Eric Adams, who is a black former police captain who was once a Republican and is running on a tough on crime message. He was a, he's a reformer himself. Like he's talked about police reform, but the message he's propagating is crime is rising. I will turn the city around. People are getting shot in the streets and I'll be there for you. It's working right now. Andrew Yang also, rather than kind of lean into like the wonky kind of left brand he had in the presidential, is really running as a moderate. And he he slipped a bit, but he's still towards the top of the tier. And then you have Catherine Garcia, who is Bill de Blasio's former sanitation commissioner, who, despite being a Bill de Blasio alum, is also running in a more moderate lane. She's like pro-charter schools. She's also for, uh, you know, uh, funding police. All three of these candidates, Yang, Garcia, Adams, are very explicitly against the funding of the police. And then you have one candidate who's kind of in the top tier 
endorsed by AOC, Maya Wiley, Bill de Blasio's former counsel, she's vaguely for defunding the police, but I would say she's kind of more of like a left liberal kind of Warren type candidate. There's like no hard, there's no, there's, there's no Bernie style person running at all. Wiley's kind of a Warren. And then you've got three, honestly, like three Biden-esque candidates kind of fighting over this, you know, white liberal, but also like big kind of broad working class uh, base. And like, who's going to win? I don't know. I think Adams has the inside track right now based on available polling. Wiley, isn't that interesting? Just saying. Like Wiley, Wiley Coyote? Yeah. She's uh, an MSNBC pundit too. That's why she has a big Twitter following from fantastic. MSNBC. Oh, so, yeah. You can't have enough of those in politics. Yeah. Isn't this race really interesting though, in terms of what it's going to signal nationally for, for the party? Because uh, I, I, my take on, on how the the national media anyway covers the Democratic electorate is that it just doesn't understand where the votes are coming from and who they're voting for and why. You know, you, you talk about how these moderate candidates who are sort of anti-defunding the police, you know, those numbers hold up pretty consistently across the country. And there's a real schism, I think, between what the op-ed pages, people in the op-ed pages think about, you know, the, the certain voters and what the reality is. Is this going to be one of the first sort of litmus test that like lets people know what the actual composition of the Democratic electorate looks like? It can be. I mean, the irony is New York City's electorate is much more liberal than the national right. electorate, but still, but even there, you're seeing success from candidates running on tough on crime platforms. You know, candidates who are still, by the way, by the, from a historical context are running much to the left than the predecessors. I mean, no one is supporting like building more jails. No one is like, we have to lock up more people. No one is, is like, you know, increase penalties for all these crimes. I mean, even Eric Adams is not like going there. Uh, but what they are yeah. saying is like, we want more, co- <laughs> right. more, more, more cops in neighborhoods. And, you know, we, we gotta be tough on, you know, tougher and people doing bad things and, and, and get illegal guns off the streets. Right. But he packed so, heat, right? He's packing heat. Yeah. So Eric Adams is a, is a retired police officer. So by law, he can carry a gun. And he has said before he would carry a gun on himself, I'll carry a gun on his body. If, if he were elected though, he's backtracked off this, but knowing him, it wouldn't shock me if he carried a gun. I mean, Adams is a very interesting figure you know, very incendiary, but very smart. You know, I, I, I think there are some parallels to Trump in the way he'll say like kind of very off the wall things and kind of move on from them. But I think he's a lot smarter than Trump and more canny than Trump. And I've written that he would be a much tougher opponent for leftists in New York City as, as a black man, as a moderate, as someone who has the support of organized labor, has the support of democratic institutions he's not going to be easily moved or budged in the way other mayors might be. So yeah, I think it would be a national story to be only the second black mayor. And, and, I, and I do think, you know, for the fund movement of which, you know, I have both sympathy, but also some skepticism toward, it, it would be a setback. I mean, it would be a setback if, you know, you, you get an R, a, a top four in RCV and three of these candidates are explicitly against defunding the police and one is vaguely in favor. And Maya Wiley, again, in the vaguest of senses, because that's kind of, you know, she's, she's run kind of, I, I would say a middling campaign that has kind of benefited from the collapse of like other sort of left of center candidates. Um, 
so yes, I, I think it, it could be a referendum on defund. Like if it's not if it's not going to fly in the New York City electorate. I don't know where I don't know where it would fly. To, right. To I mean, like, Portland maybe. Like I don't know. Portland seventy percent white, so maybe it'll fly there. Right. I mean, I guess that's sort of my point. Like even even when De Blasio got elected, he got elected as a straight up police reform candidate, and you know he he turned right around and put what's his face in as, as his yeah, uh, commissioner. Bill Bratton. Bill, 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 Bill yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, the reality of mayors in New York City historically is that they, no matter what they say about police uh, during the campaign, they always find out like on day one after the election that they, that they need the cops to rule or they think they do. Uh, and they, and, and they move in that direction. So it's significant that even you know, during the campaign stage, even they're already in this place, which is, you know, somewhat different from the, than what the expectations might have been. Yeah, you've seen, I'd say some shifts to the left, like no one wants the, the PBA endorsement, really. No, you know, Yang has like signaled he'd maybe want it. He took the police captain's endorsement, but the PBA endorsed Trump. So they're kind of toxic. But yeah, I mean, I mean, no one, no one in the top tier is running on a platform of like, slashing the NYPD budget tremendously and kind of taking the fight to the police. You know, it, it's talk of reform, of overhauling, but it's also talk of like solving crimes, of, of having a police presence in, in these working class neighborhoods that are experiencing real rises in shootings and in murders. And, you know, and, and that's, that, that is a reality that I think that the professional left ignores. And, and there's a really good book, Ghetto Side, which, which maybe- Jilly yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really, really, really opened my eyes to kind of policing. And, you know, the story of Ghetto Side is poor people in neighborhoods without resources want good police. They don't want no police. They want good police who will solve crimes and care about their plight. Like if their son, their brother, their mother is killed by a bullet, they want to know the police department is going to go in there, investigate the crime, and bring the killer to justice. That's what they want. And they're not going to get that in a defund regime. They're not going to get that if the NYPD is cut in half. They will get it with more competent and better policing. And how you get that, you know, it, it's a debate. You can have a healthy debate about how you get more competent, better policing. How do you reform the department? Personally, I'm intrigued by like models in Europe and Germany in particular, really extensive training, really extensive education, really in incentivizing better people to join the police department. I do support, you know, having social workers there, having, um, you know, mental health professionals, nonviolent responses when necessary. But I do think the, the professional kind of, um, you know, affluent left has really fallen in love with this idea of police as like murderers, as slave catchers, as like these evil actors who the working class and poor people of America want to see disappear. It's just not the case. There's literally like no evidence to undergird that at all. The criticisms that they do have make a lot, they make tons of sense. Like they, they want certain tactics to end. They don't want the, the vertical searches in the, in the houses. They, the, they don't want to be stopped and frisked. They don't want to have to deal with the the constant harassment on the streets. But they they do want a police presence, and you know there, there's a lot of tension there because there are different strategies that 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 people favor in terms of policing. But I mean, but the the idea that 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 people in these neighborhoods want want the police to be gone completely is is a I think a mystery to the situation. They they definitely want the abusive tactics to end, but. For, for sure. And, and one, one of the real wrinkles that I told, you know, my friends on the left, like I have a lot of friends in DSA and, and, and friends in, in sort of these professional left circles, 
is that you know, in New York City, one of the prime demands of like middle pl- middle class black communities in Southeast Queens, which is you know middle class area of Queens, um, has been adding a police precinct. For years, they've talked about, you know, this part of Queens only is served by one precinct, response times are low, we want a second police precinct. Last year in the budget cuts as part of like this vague attempt at to fund, funding was paused for that second police precinct. And a lot of the, the, the you know, black leaders, black residents were upset. Like, like we've been asking for a second police precinct in this community for decades. This year, the funding was restored. There is going to be that next police precinct. And so it's it's very hard, you know, when these again these sort of professional left NGO left people talk about speaking for the working class. You've got to listen to the working class. You know, I, I myself am very much a leftist. I would consider myself a socialist in terms of my political orientation. But you know, you you've got to also listen to what people are saying. You, know, you can't come into a neighborhood and say you want to fund. We're taking your we're closing your police precinct down. They don't want that yet. They want better policing. They don't want the the precincts to disappear. And and the truth is, if you look at New York history, we saw a version of defund in the 1970s. New York City had a massive fiscal crisis in 1975. The city almost goes bankrupt and everything got cut. Education, schools, teachers are laid off. Sanitation workers are, are laid off. Um, libraries are closed, hospitals are closed. It is the most devastating period for New York City. Cops are laid off. It, it, it took, you know, I was reading old press clippings you know, from the time, from the 70s and 80s. You know, it took like a decade or more to even restore headcount to where it was in the 70s. So you saw a, a real sustained period of defunding the police in New York City after the fiscal crisis. It did not, not lead to a better police department. It did not lead to better outcomes. It was a disaster. You need to invest in the social services. I think that's great. I agree with to fund people. You've got to pump more money into education, into after-school programs, into jobs. A jobs guarantee program would be great. But you, you're not going to solve the problem by making police utterly disappear. I thought that maybe we, you can ans- answer this question, which is why, I mean, it's a little risky because hopefully if you don't have a good answer, then we're going to get canceled. But Take why, the risk. Take the risk, right? Yeah. So, so we, of course, have a lot of New York viewers, but we are an international show, uh, both internationalists and within that international audience. So why does what happens in New York matter to the rest of the country? Sure. So, you know, New York was the original epicenter of COVID. And even after the successive waves of COVID and the suffering nationwide and and all the reports from last summer, uh, New York still remained really the worst hit place in the country. Um, You know, New York State overall ended up with the second highest uh, death rate that was only second to New Jersey, which is next to New York. Um, and in terms of, you know, raw death toll only trailed California, which was twice as big. So the decisions made in New York impacted the nation. And, and there was actually a good New York Times story about this way into last year about how COVID um, actually spread out from kind of an uncontained uh, New York as people both fled and kind of the virus progressed. So you know, New York's utter failure to uh, contain the virus and, and really, uh, you know, do anything to mitigate this catastrophic death toll, you know, probably played a role in 
America's suffering as well. Of course, it's not that simple, right? I'm not going to say, oh, New York caused COVID. No, um, not at all, right? This was a very hard virus to deal with. As we saw internationally, a lot of countries struggled with coronavirus. And I, would, I, would, I never at any point in my book or anywhere else lay all the blame on COVID on Andrew Cuomo, right? It was a national problem. It was a local problem. And, and very few countries with, with few exceptions did well with COVID and that includes Europe. Um, that being said, and we can go more into it, there were critical decisions made, uh, rhetorical postures taken that really cost tens of thousands of lives within New York State. There was a critical period last year when the pandemic was just starting, when, uh, you know, the, the, the campaign was still going on and there were, there were these rumblings in the country that uh, Andrew Cuomo was the leader that America needed during this emergency. Um, there were people who were even talking about maybe we should reconfigure the primary race to somehow make him the nominee uh, who would run against Trump. Uh, and yet they were making fateful decisions about COVID during this time. Can you talk about what they actually did during this time versus sure. what the image was? Yes. Uh, so so one of the, 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 the big parts of my book is really the early TikTok, for lack of a better word, uh, of, of New York's response in February and March of 2020. So I really went back, dug into the transcripts, the press conferences, the, the, the news clips. I mean, I, I had my own reporting because I was reporting on this for The Nation and other outlets at the time. So I could go back and, and, and cite my own work as well. Um, and and the, the amazing thing is, and, and I had actually forgotten this and, and didn't really uh, see it clearly until I started reporting for the book was Cuomo's rhetoric on COVID was very similar to Donald Trump's. And, and, and this is something that like got entirely mem memory hold by sort of the, uh, you know, liberal mainstream establishment media, which Matt, you know, you've written excellently about. Um, so, so basically, you know, Cuomo repeatedly, repeatedly, not once, but many times compared COVID to SARS and Ebola and said it wasn't a big deal. And he does this a lot. He does this in February of 2020. And the thing that was striking to me is that he keeps doing this well into March of 2020. So if you remember by March of 2020, it's very clear COVID's a big deal. The first case shows up in New York March 1st. Many smart people believe it, it's been there much sooner. We know the problems in China and Italy. This thing is going to get very bad. I think there's very few people kind of who are cogent who would say this is not going to get bad. Andrew Cuomo standing up in front of the local media, the national media, as late as March 11th, comparing COVID to the common flu, saying the fear is worse than the virus, right? We can't give in to hysteria. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, does a similar thing, but you know, it's Cuomo who's taking the lead here. You know, the governor of New York is by far the most powerful figure in New York State, having to do with the way the government is set up. And I, I can go into that in detail later. But basically, I mean, the first thing I really found, I was just shocked that so few people had written on this was just his rhetoric. I mean, his rhetoric was disastrous, you know, telling people it's not a big deal. Don't be scared. We've conquered other things, right? Like once you invoke Ebola, all hope is lost because we remember the Ebola outbreak. It, it was it was a problem in Africa. It was confined to there. A few cases made their way to America. Nothing was changed. Life went on as normal. It was horrific there, fine here. So once you invoke Ebola, you enter this realm of, oh, we'll be fine. 
And people knew better. Scientists knew better. Journalists who'd been studying what was going on in China knew better. Even in the New York Times, they knew better. You, you could learn about COVID in Wuhan just reading the Times' reporting in January 2020. Like it, it wasn't a secret by then. So really catastrophic rhetoric. And then you couple that with very slow movement to shut down New York City. And um, you know, California, particularly San Francisco, and the, the surrounding counties did a very good coordinated shutdown that actually did save a lot of lives before New York did. And even to this day, the San Francisco death toll is quite low. Southern California would get hit later on. So early, early shutdown, Bill de Blasio, March 17th, suggests it's time to shelter in place. Cuomo says, no, we're not doing it because he hates Bill de Blasio. Not until it was about March 22nd is the like shelter in place statewide order put into place. By then, thousands of people are sick. Thousands of people are dying. It is way too late. Hmm. One of the things that we pointed out a lot on Useful Idiots was that Cuomo, all he had to do was basically not say that you should inject your lungs with bleach to, to differentiate himself from Trump. Right. So like you talk about how similar the rhetoric is. And I think that another part of it is that his just kind of his his not talking like an even though you're he did do this kind of downplaying of it. He didn't speak like an insane person. And, you know, people found a lot of false comfort, I would say, given his policies in just the way he would update people. Right. So he really distinguished himself as a man of reason and science, as opposed to Donald Trump, who, you know, in the face of science, ignore science or doubt science or cast doubt on it. And it's a really interesting point that you made. And it's fascinating, as you as you say, that like people weren't pointing this out about him, even Cuomo's critics. And I do think that just having Donald Trump as a foil was so great for for Cuomo. Uh, and and he could cut them, you know, with stuff with healthcare in the budget. Oh, oh, absolutely. I, I, I do believe that if Joe Biden, through some alchemy, had been president last year, Andrew Cuomo would not be a national hero. It just it just doesn't happen. If you had uh, even even a Democratic president that wasn't handling COVID well, right? And and you know, six hundred thousand people dead. Maybe a Democratic president gets the death toll down a bit. But as we saw again, very competent leaders in Europe also struggled mightily with this. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend Joe Biden would have stopped COVID. I think that's silly. Um, but given you know any kind of like normal ish president who spoke coherently and didn't sound incendiary and deranged and, and tweet crazy stuff and suggest crazy things. Andrew Cuomo is not a national hero. You know, people, you think back to March of 2020, right? People are shut in in their homes. People, particularly uh, white collar professionals, uh, they're watching cable TV all the time. It's all they're doing. Right. And unfortunately with journalism, you know, I, I, I said this before, I do think it too often, and I, I love fiction, I write fiction, but too often takes on the tropes of fiction, seeks narratives, heroes, villains, we have to have a foil, right? Cuomo fills this void. He, both Trump and Cuomo are from Queens, but Cuomo is like the tough talking, straight talking, you know, it has real gravitas to him. Trump does not. And, you know, Cuomo is like your tough, like father-in-law, you know, giving you advice and Trump is your crazy uncle. So I do think, you know, that demeanor, that approach appealed to a lot of people in that moment, though he was doing nothing to save lives or very little to save lives. And also to the media and the media is complicit here. I mean, regular people did 
celebrate Cuomo and enjoy Cuomo. But if you look at the coverage from that period, it is ridiculously fawning. Cuomo is appearing on the cover of multiple national magazines. He's on the cover of Rolling Stone. He was on the cover of Vanity Fair. In the New York Times, he's getting celebratory coverage. His aides, like Melissa DeRosa, who played a role in the cover-up of the nursing home deaths, which we can talk about uh, later, she is profiled by Harper's Bazaar. You know, it really is like this manic period of Cuomo hero worship that lasts several months. And I think does the damage of still protecting his reputation, even as he's no longer as popular as he used to be, he's coming off such a high peak, he's not yet in the gutter where probably a normal politician would be after these scandals uh, and, and other problems that he encountered uh, this year. Well, we saw, we saw the press kind of openly make him campaign for the role of the 9-11 Giuliani to this pandemic. I mean, they, they were they were longing to just sort of slot somebody into a familiar character trope. Uh, which was which was bizarre to watch. Uh, you know, it's like they were trying to shoehorn him into something that that didn't really exist. But he definitely benefited from that. Did he? Did he not? Yes, I mean, absolutely. You know, definitely, there are a lot of parallels between Giuliani and 9/11 and Cuomo and COVID. You know, in each instance, you know, neither man did anything at all to save lives. In Giuliani's mm-hmm. defense, couldn't stop 9/11. He did move infamously after the World Trade Center bombing in 93 against the advice of uh, smart people. He moved the OEM headquarters into the World Trade Center, and then they were rendered you know, useless uh, very quickly in 9-11. What's uh, the but, OEM? Oh, Office of Emergency, Emergency Management. Yeah. So he, he moved these headquarters into the Trade Center after the 93 bombing, and people were like, well, why? This was, this was a terrorist target. Don't do that. Um, I, I don't oh, even yeah. know why he did it, but he did it. it. There, there is a reason. You have to go back in the press clippings. Um, well, he did also cost lives by um, not by, well, I guess it was Christine Todd Whitman was the New York EPA at the time, EPA director, but they did downplay the risks to uh, rescue workers. Yes. They said it was safe to go down there, and, and like they... I don't know the numbers, but there's there's a significant number of people who got cancer basically from doing yes, that. Yes, so yes, pulmonary pulmonary, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. many people suffer, suffering to yeah. this day who, yeah. who, are, who are dead, uh, you know, from from that time. So yeah. And shout was, out to the late uh, to the late Steve Levin who ran Mount Sinai's World Trade Center workers uh, rescue workers clinic. They so they opened an entire clinic to deal with that. That's how bad it was. Yes, no, it was, it was yeah. horrific. So. You know, Giuliani you know, enjoys this post, you know, 9-11 popularity, almost right. tries to, he tries to secure himself a third term as mayor, did not work out. And then he obviously coasted off of this uh, for a long time, turned it into a failed presidential bid, made millions of dollars, defenestrated himself later on with Trump and so on. So, yes, I, I think that the media hungers for narratives, hungers for foils. It, it, it it's like there's kind of this collective yearning to fill void sometimes. And, and the coverage in a sane democracy, the coverage would have been Trump is terrible, but Cuomo is doing a bad job too. Yeah. And I, I told people repeatedly throughout 2020, both of these things can be true, yeah, right? Exactly. I'm not here defending Donald Trump's COVID response. It was not good. Um, but this does not mean Andrew Cuomo is awesome and is doing an incredible job. In fact, he is not. 
And subsequently, you know, his response in the months to come would, would be quite destructive in, in terms of the quiet austerity regime that he imposed on New York uh, throughout 2020 and was very luckily reversed to an extent by the federal stimulus money that came in. But that would not have happened without the Democratic Senate. So Cuomo got lucky there. It's the, the but Trump phenomenon. But Trump, but Trump, you know, if you raise any criticism of a Democrat, as long as you're not doing and saying uh, exactly what Trump is doing and saying, you, you get, you get a fo- uh, again, you're foiled by that. But you know, what's interesting is that I feel like we saw this cynically weaponized by people in the defense. You know, they use it to like cover, give cover to Democrats. But in this case, I actually think it was obviously it functioned as giving cover, but I think that people were so like seduced by just again just language that recognized science even though as you pointed out he was not actually taking it seriously enough and he was actually misrepresenting what what it was by comparing it to ebola yeah the remarkable thing with cuomo is you know and i i'm sort of skeptical of the follow the science cult right though i mean science. oh no me too me too but but i was going to add as my my pivot from that is that cuomo did not follow the science and in fact his staffers in, in in government, the people making public health decisions were mostly not doctors and scientists. They were his political appointees, the guy heading up the vaccine response um, in 2020 and 2021 was Larry Schwartz, who is a like literal political hack, who has been Cuomo's friends friend for like decades, and is like working as like a volunteer to oversee, uh, you know, coordinate vaccines in the state. So this is like a theme with Cuomo where He's not even following the science where other states, you've looked at like Washington state, which had a pretty good COVID response. They were, Jay Inslee was empowering, um, you know, scientists and doctors to speak to the public very directly. One thing I write about in my book is Cuomo is insistent that he is the face of COVID. It is not any public health official, which is contrasted with Washington state, even California where public health officials are put at the forefront it's Cuomo, right? And 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 the his state his health commissioner in the state is in is in essence a flunky who will do anything Cuomo says and is not an independent health official in any way. I guess I I meant more like he virtue said he science virtue signaled. Yes, right. He did he virtue signaled? Yes, absolutely. So behind the scenes, he was not trusting the science, but yes, right. publicly. He was very fact-based. Exactly. That goes back to the PowerPoints, right? right? People were obsessed with these PowerPoints. It appeals to like this like PMC exactly. like obsession right. with expertise. Here he is, like Donald right. Trump is babbling about, you know, drinking bleach and everyone's going to be in church by Easter. Cuomo's sitting down every day at 11 a.m. with PowerPoints. Like, oh my right. God, words on a PowerPoint. Exactly, yeah. like, I am awed by this. Um, so yes, he, he spoke to those liberal sensibilities. I mean, that's what New York is. And, and that's what, you know, the media is. I mean, the media loves the idea of expertise, not right. necessarily expertise itself, but the, the appearance, the aesthetic of expertise. Yeah, pseudo, it was like a pseudo, performative wonkery. Yes, because he's not a wonk, but he, yeah. he can perform as well. Yeah. Well, that was a great interview with Ross Barkin. It, it was a great interview. It was, right? Ross, and it was with Ross Barkin, too. I'm correct on both fronts. <laughs> you were you were completely correct. There was no no time during any of that st- statement where we were in danger of you being yeah. wrong about something. I wonder, have we ever done it where I've said that was a great interview and you've been like, mm, eh. 
like pulled a Larry David. Openly? Like, who is a decent? Yeah, no, just in your head. Right. I mean, in your head, who knows? But openly, no. You've known to, to, to censor yourself. I might have said something like, it was good, not great. Like, I might have. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you have. I, you, I haven't said that? Been, no, you've been like, that's the best interview ever. Have I? Was I being sarcastic? Yeah. No, it was with Adam McKay. Oh, right. That was the best interview ever that we've done. Although that we've done no the best interview ever right. also omar though i think you really liked uh, michael k williams right yes yeah great interview and you know since we were discussing um andrew cuomo's emmy i thought we could watch this short clip of him let's uh, do it let's do it right as a new yorker i am a muslim as a new yorker i am jewish as a new yorker i am black i am gay i am disabled I am a woman seeking to control her health and her choices because as a New Yorker, we are one community. So here's my question, ready? Which is he the most convincing as? Remember, because this is a guy who won an Emmy. So which is his best acting performance of all of these? Okay, pay, let's, let's watch this. I am a Muslim. As a New Yorker, I am Jewish. As a New Yorker, I am black. I am gay. I am disabled. I am a woman seeking to control her health and her choices. That's because that's as it. a New Yorker, yeah, we are right. one community. He's yeah. a woman seeking to control so her health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's a little problematic. It's a little honestly, Sybil because Sybil. I mean, he's got a lot. You know, he's a little multiple personality right. situation yes. going on there. He's all uh, these people at once. Well, you know. no, I think the problem is he's not. In fact, that's what I would say is uh, wrong with it. It's not actually intersectional because he makes these things kind of mutually exclusive. Why not as a New Yorker? I'm a black, gay, Jewish, Muslim, disabled oh, right. woman fighting for her reproductive freedom. Right. Against someone like me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. As a New Yorker, I detest Andrew Cuomo. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, he obviously couldn't go there. I think he right. sold that pretty well. I, I, I thought that was going to be like a factor of 10 more cringe than it ended up being. Yeah, I guess so. So you're you saying give he's credit good. where credit is due. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he is good. He's not good at uh, controlling uh, COVID. Uh, he's not good at not at being honest about nursing home deaths, but he's pretty good at playing in his role of black Jewish woman, disabled, gay, New Yorker, Muslim. Who is sexually attractive to Trevor Noah and, and Ellen right. generous. Well, he doesn't brag about that. That's that's actually no, that's not his role. That is what he is. That's what he is like that. Right. If he had said that, that would have just been a humble brag. But we can say it for him, though. Yes, we can say that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he's uh, that's interesting that, you know, that was interesting talk with Russ, by the way, because those the results that are coming up, those those will be that'll be something we can actually. Oh, yeah. Discuss. We didn't ask him to predict it. Damn. You know, what we should do. We should compare the actual drama that, you know, that happened within the Democratic faction in New York to the very heated drama uh, on left Twitter and see if yeah. there's any uh, overlaps, any overlap between real political drama and, you know, that other thing. Or is yeah. that a taboo subject right now? No, we got, I mean, this will be a good substack only. I think we should get into it again. Like, you know, we've, it's been a while since we probed the real reasons of our severing ties with Rolling Stone, but our new obsession um, is I think this Twitter beef, these online personalities. So if you want, if you want to hear that chat. It's kind of awesome how, how venomous it's gotten. In the last week it went to 11. 
Yeah, I got to 11. And one of the things is that, by the way, my favorite part of that, though, is that they then promised that they were going to have a journalist from Syria on who was going to bring the receipts. And said journalist is a white American Pat named Pat Hillsman, who I guess uh, is not from Syria, but I believe he's been to Syria. He, so, once, he once saw Syria on a map. On a map, yeah, from his window. No, I think... He ate I think, Syrian bread. I've never had that, but it sounds really good. you never had Syrian bread? I don't think so. Where it's like a Syrian? pita. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. It's like a pocket. I, I mean, I think that's like such a... Like, really? You couldn't find one? It, here's the thing. If you're not going to be able to find a reporter from Syria, why would you preview in a tweet that you're going to have on a journalist from Syria? I don't know. I why why are you asking this question, Katie? What are you? Do you, you have something against the Young Turks? No, I don't. I, in fact, I often find myself, honestly, I often find myself tr wishing that they would take my advice, which is that, again, and I'm being very generous here. They don't like me. My thing to them was you're not going to win, not because I fight with them over force the vote, but they're not going to win that battle. They're just not going to win. And the other side, that's their lane. It doesn't make any sense. I, they should just ignore it. And yeah, for this, my advice for them is, okay, just yes. In general, you should deliver the guests that you promise you're going to deliver. Speaking of which, next week, we're going to have on... Beyonce. Beyonce, yes. We're having yeah. on Beyonce to talk about that lemon cleanse that we referred to. Right. Uh, and and yeah, and so make sure you check out uh, our, our sub stack from last week also to, to understand this... Um, CYT on gray zone violence. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Just so the, all the, and it's like, just own it. You're doing a segment on Syria because you're mad at Aaron Mate. And then again, their guests, they didn't even have a guest, their two guests or correspondents. They didn't even have a guest. They had their two, it was Anna and two correspondents who had like literally never been to Syria or the Middle East, didn't really have anything to add. What do you think is coming next? Is it like a pinata or oh, like, with Aaron's face on it? Yeah, or I don't know, like a hanging in effigy. Maybe or... unclear. Yeah, we'll, unclear. Have, to, we'll have to check yeah. it out. Anyway, thanks for for uh, for for following us this week. Uh, you know, next week when we have Beyonce and yeah. uh, and who else? What we the uh, Beyonce and Kamala um, Harris, Kamala Harris and Michael Jackson, the ghost uh, of Michael back Jackson. from the dead. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, a lot, a lot of great stories. Honestly, Machiavelli at, at the end of the day. Yeah, Machiavelli. Yeah. Oh, and, and Kurt Loder, of course. Kurt, Kurt Loder, right? Yeah. 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 So we're gonna have all those people on. We're gonna do a little seance. Yeah. And um, it's just not gonna work. Yeah. But, gonna uh, but you know, come and listen anyway, uh, just to see how. How, uh, how huge of a fail it is. And in the meantime, don't listen to any other podcasts. Oh, um, no, never. If you do that, you're part don't of... Don't financially support anybody else no. except us. And thank you for, uh, for tuning in. Thank you so much for watching this. Uh, to hear the rest of our chat with uh, Ross Barkin, where we talk about uh, defund the police and whether that is a slogan developed by PSYOPs as well as a quick update on the latest in the TYT gray zone drama, please join our subsec at usefulidiots.subsec.com and subscribe to us on YouTube and subscribe to us on iTunes and rate and review us. How you like them apples? I like them. A plus right, see apples. you next week, folks. See you next week. Bye.